Hello, everyone, and thank you for being here. Today, I am super excited to have a conversation with Lillian Morales, a colleague and close friend. Today, we will be discussing a combination of topics, including Lillian's experience as a Latina individual, being both a therapist and a client herself. Welcome, Lillian. So happy to have you here with us today. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so honored to be a part of this. Yeah, thanks for being here. So can you tell us a bit about your cultural background? Yeah, so my mom is from Argentina, and that is still right now where all my family lives. And my dad was born in Bolivia, but lived in Argentina most of his life until he met my mom and came down here to the U.S. I was actually born here in Maryland, though. Okay. And do you go to Argentina often? Every couple of years. And mm -hmm. I would say it was more frequent um, when I was younger, every yeah. maybe two to four. But since, you know, starting more in this career and yeah. in adulthood, it became harder because we do have to allocate about a month or two months visit mm -hmm. because our family is so big over there. Yeah, same with us. When we go to Chile, it has to be a month. And when I was in high school, we could go during the summer vacation and we mm -hmm. had more freedom. But like you said, now that we're adults and have all these responsibilities, it's a, it's a lot harder to say, okay, I'm going to pay over $1,000 for a plane <laughs> ticket just to be there for a week or however long. Absolutely. Yeah, that's where I'm currently struggling. I'm always getting asked, when are you coming? When are you coming? I have no Same. idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. like, whenever I probably when I switch jobs and can take some time off because it's it's impossible. <laughs> can you tell us a bit about your professional background? Yes. I've been independently licensed as an LCPC in the state of Maryland for the last three years. And most recently I was approved for the Maryland board approved supervisor. And I have not been able to apply this title. But overall, it's been five years in the career. Um, okay, on post grad. Okay, around, I think similar, similar with me and I'm an LCSW, which is licensed clinical social worker. And what does LCPC stand for? LCPC stands for licensed clinical practitioner counselor. And when we first leave our master's, we get our LG first, which is mm -hmm. licensed graduate. I kind of like to explain it as in a provisional license versus permanent uh, when we drive, you know, for example, you start mm -hmm. off with one until you get the hours. So we start yeah. with our LGs first and then we become LCs. It's kind of like a permit for driving. Like you get your yeah. permit first, then you get your license. Yeah. And it's similar in our field. As well, we graduate with LMSW, Licensed Master Social Worker. And then okay. you have to, <clears throat> probably similar, just supervision hours and yeah. direct patient contact. And once you meet all those requirements and probably pay some money. <laughs> <laughs> some money. <You> can, yeah. <laughs> I think the board of the State Board of Maryland has a lot of my money at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Connecticut has some of mine, now Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you done after graduation? What kind of settings have you worked in? Yeah, so when I was still in LG, so fresh into the career, I started first mm -hmm. as a school-based therapist for an OMHC, and that's an outpatient mental health clinic. 
And what it had is more of a community-based, but they also worked with several other counties that incorporated school-based and as well as outpatients. People can go to the office, but it had Baltimore City and County, PG, Montgomery, Howard, Anne Arundel, and then they were looking to expanding even more. So I was physically uh, listed as a therapist for two schools, but the majority of the time I spent at just one school in Catonsville, Maryland. Okay. Mm-hmm. Most of your career, you've been working with kids. Yes. So it started at a school setting with kids and I always knew I wanted to work with kids. So this was an easy segue into what I wanted to do. And Mm -hmm. of course the hours were great because it was school hours. I was at an elementary school. So I worked. Yeah. That's nice. K to five. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Early in, early out. (laughs) Yeah. Early. I was done by three, like even sometimes before three. Because, you know, school ends at three, so you had to finish before school ended. But, you know, it, it was different, of, of course. And then the pandemic happened and interfered extremely with, you know, my career. I easily, I think I would have stayed in school-based um, had the pandemic not hit for another solid, I would say, five years. Because I loved it. I loved yeah. it completely. I transitioned to to private practice because I knew how hard it was to do virtual therapy and, you know, learning how to do it. And kids were, you know, completely exhausted with all the virtual learning and seeing me, especially the younger kiddos, my kindergartners and first grade were not able to do um, telehealth. It was too much Mm -hmm. for them. After all day being in school, then having to meet with a therapist and talking about difficult things. I mean, I think I would struggle as an adult. I can't imagine kids. Yeah, yeah. So um, that made the decision of, you know, leaving um, the school that I really love to work at. And Mm -hmm. I transitioned to a group practice in Towson for another two years. And then most recently, I transitioned to an online private practice. But I do both hybrid, um, so in-person and working from home. Okay. And are you still just seeing children right now or do you have a combination? (laughs) So when I um, went into private practice, I initially only wanted to do children, but I slowly started noticing, of course, that limits my hours. That's mainly evening hours and Mm -hmm. my later mornings, early afternoons were empty. So I had to introduce them working with, you know, young adults. I, I, definitely enjoyed working with like the college age mm-hmm. students and adolescents because I, I also had limited experience with adolescents. It was more of the younger kids. And then even now, most recently at my new private practice, I am working with adults in, in the sense that they're a lot older than me. And that was also another mm-hmm. big step into a new population that I've never worked with. Yeah. How was that change? That's pretty drastic. I actually started working with children right out of graduating with my master's and I only lasted seven months. And then I said, I cannot work with children. I need to be adults only. So we are completely opposites. (laughs) So I think the interference with the older adults is a personal thing for me of not having gone through certain life experiences, you know, not being married, not having kids and feeling like I'm looked down on by someone older than me, you know? Yeah. So I think that's like, it's a personal thing, but luckily it hasn't really, 
you know, transpired in that way. But of course, depending on what they're coming in for, it's also harder work in a sense that it could be something that maybe has stemmed from their childhood and being an adult in their 40s, 50s, 60s, it is a lot of years and a lot of things happening in the mix. So sometimes it feels like it's somewhat harder, but obviously conversation is easier and you can have more of that insight versus some of the children um, sessions are, you know, more creative and sometimes mm-hmm. you don't get as deep in insight with life, you know, or processing. Yeah. Things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The conversations, the treatment modalities all yeah. look so differently. <laughs> so what type of therapy modalities do you use and have found most effective or you enjoy using personally with the clients that you've, you've seen? So when I work with the kiddos, I try to do more play-based or bibliotherapy, art-based. I even sometimes look at videos together if it applies to the session or we watch like snippets of a movie. Like I know I did that with um, the movie Inside Out. Mm -hmm. that That was a popular one yeah I think that came out when I was working with kids still so Mm -hmm. I know that the clinicians that were working with the younger kids five six seven eight years old they use that a lot to teach them about emotional regulation and that it's okay to feel all these arrays of emotions yes and of course it just creates a nice visual representation of what we're trying to already explained to kids (laughs) but yes so with children I use some of that but then with adults I know or you know adolescents young adults I notice a lot more of um, CBT or client-centered solution focus definitely it changes based on what I think they would be best fit for so yeah definitely a a case-by-case basis yeah yeah I'm not as rigid and I'm willing to always learn new modalities and I've done a lot of individual um, a lot of family and then in the past when I was still you know in my internship or starting off in my field I did group therapies but I was always Mm -hmm. so I never led them on my own okay and have you done family therapy with any Spanish-speaking families not too much that I recall in my memory that would have been Mm -hmm. more in the beginning phases of my career and if that happened it was more so a mom who was Spanish speaking and I was working Mm -hmm. with their child but nine times out of ten the child always wanted to talk in English (laughs) so it was even if the parent didn't speak English yeah it's just you know kids learn to speak that in schools and they become comfortable or and that's difficult for the families because (laughs) then they start to have difficulties communicating with their own child I've seen that a lot the parents get frustrated because the kids start to lose Spanish and then they don't speak English yeah and it's different for them too because you know most likely the parents were born and raised in their own country and then Mm -hmm. raising a child in this country it's a different world completely so yeah different customs different norms Mm -hmm. so yeah it's different for sure Mm -hmm. and what was your experience around mental health with your own family and also I guess you're an example of what we just mentioned you were raised here, but your mom is from Argentina and she grew up there. She had her childhood there. What has come up for you with your own experience? So it's definitely 
growing and in a good way I would say Mm -hmm. at this point in at this age before was again not as known and I think this would apply to the whole world itself I think back in Mm -hmm. the day therapy was just not as prevalent or as used but it Mm -hmm. started getting bigger and then again pandemic it kind of emphasized our jobs so much so much but I do have another therapist in my family who is older than me Mm -hmm. And he was licensed way years before that I started because again, he's older. Technically, he is my second cousin, um, but I consider him my cousin. Mm -hmm. And then two of his younger sisters are studying to be an occupational therapist. So your family is aware of the profession and just through you and your cousins? (laughs) Um, see, that's the hard part. Cause I feel mm-hmm. like they don't fully understand maybe. And again, yeah. I've been around them recently to have these conversations, mm-hmm. but at that point, let's see, five years ago, when I last saw my entire family, mm-hmm. I know that certain scenarios or life events that were happening, I think they would have benefited, but from, from therapy, but they weren't kind of engaging in it. So again, mm-hmm. it's not a resource that I think they knew something that they never done. And then financial, I don't know what the financial piece looks like over there, um, you mm-hmm. know, different country, but I think the conversation slowly is more open to now fast forward. Mm-hmm. I know a couple of my family members have started or engaged in therapy individually. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just slowly coming <laughs> into, yeah. you know, more of our conversations. I don't even think my mom is still fully aware of kind of what I do. I think she mm-hmm. has an overall understanding, but the fact that I'm still in therapy myself as a client, sometimes I notice by the questions she would ask me or things that she would bring up I couldn't understand Mm -hmm. like you still don't realize what therapy is yeah and did you start therapy as a child or as an adult I did I started therapy when I was in um, middle school okay so your mom made that appointment for you Uh, Yes, unwillingly, I would say it was based on a life event that happened in my home. And we Mm -hmm. had to go to court and I was mandated by a judge to go Okay, based on kind of what I was experiencing. So I was forced to go and I myself didn't even know and I couldn't even remember in the beginning, I didn't talk much because I didn't know it wasn't like a defiance thing. I think I just didn't know what to do or expect out of therapy. Yeah. No one explained it to you. Yes. They're um, just like, here, you have an appointment, go to it. Yeah. And then afterwards, I I feel like I would have benefited from therapy from way before middle school, from mm-hmm. another life experience. And I think I asked that to my mom as an adult. And she just said, I didn't know that was like a resource. You know, I, I never heard of like, you know, therapy. Mm-hmm. I, you know, she didn't necessarily apologize for it, but you know, it's still an understanding of, of like lack of information, mm-hmm. lack of knowledge. Yeah. I would think that now it's more of a social thing from mm-hmm. what I've been hearing in Argentina, you know, not as much as, oh, I go once a week, do you go twice a week kind of thing? But mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's just more commonly introduced. Yeah. And like I said, my mom has an understanding as a whole what I do, but I know at one point she asked me, if I was going to be let go or released from my mm-hmm. therapist. And that confused me as in, what do you mean? As if like, 
a doctor kind of I, I saw more of a medical term kind of like you know, when you go to the doctors mm-hmm. to try to fix something or you don't know what's going yeah. on and then they finally were like okay you know to come see me so I explained it to her I was like mom me leaving therapy is my choice and I still feel like I can process and talk about things and mm-hmm. I absolutely see therapy as a a nice follow-up with someone who is not fully integrated in your life but you can use to vent to yeah um, so it's not more of like I have an urgent problem please help it's mm-hmm. I see it in a different form so I think that's also the difference of not again fully understanding what it is that we do yeah and my family in Chile has some barriers as well like you said you're not sure about the monetary piece but it, it is expensive and the insurance you do have insurance in Chile but it still doesn't cover a lot of those things that can be seen sort of still as quote-unquote additional like therapy is still not seen as something as important as going to a medical doctor or your primary care or the dentist because there are those barriers that you have to pay every time you go talk to somebody so yeah. although therapy is available it's at times not affordable absolutely and um there's other i think things that we don't necessarily see here like for example over there, especially since my mom was um, born in the more countryside of Argentina, mm-hmm. they have certain people that we call curanderas, which I think in English would translate to shemans, I think it's pronounced. Yeah, or um, healers. Healers, yep. Yeah. Like natural so, healers. Natural healers, yep. So introducing potentially herbs and prayers, and it's like a different mm-hmm. form of healing. And I think that could overlap with some medical things, but also some mental health aspects that are presented and they go to curanderas to get healed, quote unquote. So that's another area that we don't typically see here in the United States at all. Yeah. And I want to hear more about the curadera because I didn't really grow up with that or hearing that. Mm-hmm. I'm the opposite. I grew up in a pretty major city in Chile, so it was very busy. It was not the country at all. It was a major port. So can you describe what that means in your culture? And do you know if curaderas believe in therapy? Like, is there any, you know what I mean? Do you know if curaderas would collaborate with a therapist? (laughs) See, that's hard to know because I don't know if that's still, well, yes, I would say that they still exist today Mm -hmm. but I think they also still exist out more in the country than in the city Mm -hmm. so for example my mom was born in Misiones which is closer to Paraguay that's next to Mm -hmm. and they used to live literally on a what we would consider it a farm so like they would raise crops and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. it's very common for like smaller villages and things like that to happen and people to go to so from what my mom has told me people would come to my grandmother and sometimes physically and sometimes you don't even need to be there physically they could call and say hey either describe what's happening or my grandmother would just say, you know what, just tell me the full name and their birthday. Mm -hmm. And she did some kind of ritual. And again, I never seen, this is what my mom would tell me. Mm -hmm. My mom referenced something about using candles, sometimes saying prayers, or I don't know if songs, again, I've never seen it. I Mm -hmm. haven't fully addressed this again. I feel like it's been Mm -hmm. there talked about with my mom, but yeah. My grandmother was able to know like what the person had and how to 
cure them or recommend like, hey, take this, do this. Um, one point she even did it for me when I was overseas, different, mm-hmm. far away. She just asked my mom again, name, birth date. And she was able to realize that I was having like colic when I was a baby, you know, with mm-hmm. like stomach pains. And- yeah, the crying. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had that as a baby too. <laughs> and I don't know what she did over there. And she told my mom what it was. And then the next day I was fine. So, you know, I think there's a lot of more, it's like a more of a spiritual realm, but to say that if they believe in therapists, I don't know if they would fully or know, or just see them like as a different type of healer. This is hard. Cause I wish I could ask my grandmother now, but mm-hmm. the way conversations are with her, it's, it's very, very limited. So I wouldn't be able mm-hmm. to ask this to see from her perspective. Oh, wow. And is your grandmother still alive? She is. She is turning. Okay. 95 in March in a month. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. She sometimes, it's harder to hear when she talks. And even mm-hmm. then, it's very, hi, how are you? What did you mm-hmm. eat? Are you okay? And that's mm-hmm. it. She doesn't continue a conversation. Sometimes she ignores you. So that's oh, okay. Conversations <laughs> are limited with her. Yeah. Now, what has your experience been around mental health in the Latinx community as a whole? I think it's very hesitant to be sought out because I know there's that stigma of, you know, espada los locos or for the crazy Mm -hmm. people. Or I know, depending on how heavily religious one is in their family, they immediately think, you know, church is going to help. Just go Mm -hmm. to church. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's hard to realize, you know, there could be a mental health situation going on. I think it's harder to even admit if this has been going on for years or something that goes on in the family. It's just not easily, I feel, accepted. Mm -hmm. And then even then, if they are coming to get help, I don't 100% see it as on their own will. It's more like the teacher suggested it. My doctor suggested it. Someone else Mm-hmm. like they trust another profession more uh, maybe yeah or like I said it's almost like I didn't think of this resource first someone told me about it kind of thing okay yeah <laughs> and even then if they are engaging it's hard to see that consistency of let me come here every week or you know I'm going to make this a priority I've seen a lot of for example cancellations or you know this is more important so I'm going to go to this or It's just, again, it's not as a full priority as I would say other populations tend to view therapy as, as an Mm -hmm. actual priority. And even arriving for sessions themselves, you know, like Latinos are late sometimes. So I've had to address coming late for sessions. And Mm -hmm. when I've had to do that, when I was in like an office setting versus in school, that's different because, you know, I can go and pick up the kid easily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But even if I want to engage in any kind of family. So when I was in the school system, if I needed to engage in any family conversations or try to schedule a session with the parent, that was hard, you know, with scheduling mm-hmm. with work and then trying to do it in different hours of work, you know, either trying to do it before school started early, early mm-hmm. in the morning. Do you think the barrier was that they were just so busy and kind of overwhelmed with their lives? Or was, do you think it was more so that they didn't take the therapy seriously or they weren't invested? Or maybe a mix of both. Yep, both. I was going to say both. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And even if it is somewhat halfway invested, I would say not to the point that if I was recommending further people involved in treatment Mm -hmm. or 
further resources like, hey, call this. This is how you can get help as like the parent or kind of giving them, literally giving them a list and there's no follow-up. There's no mm-hmm. outreach. Or I've even had suggested the parent and or the, you know, like if parents are having situations or an issue, they go mm-hmm. to therapy and they're like, oh, well, we don't really need it. Or, you know, mm-hmm. we don't really believe it. In the, so I'm like, wait, so you have your child here, but mm-hmm. you as a family don't believe in it. So it's again, so weird disconnect. Yeah. And I mean, that's a a great opportunity for some psychoeducation, Mm -hmm. which is, I mean, it's a good, a good time to do it and to tell them, well, your, your child is here and they're benefiting from it. And you've seen the changes at home. So you don't have to go through things alone. There's somebody that can be, you know, there for you as support as well. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a good time to provide that psychoeducation and help them understand the benefits of therapy and absolutely and they can be in it too I've even noticed it's almost like a smaller theme or I don't even know Mm -hmm. small word and this could be across clients I've worked with or even across friendships you know I have friends who are from Latin descent and are at that stage where either now they they see a therapist but parents again are not in this Mm -hmm. therapy idea and it's almost like lack of emotional conversations or Mm -hmm. lack of providing that to the child so it would be like my friends and Mm -hmm. I myself included would say growing up and then wanting to not do that as an adult Mm -hmm. or obviously down the road if we're considering having children to our own children like the breaking that stigma or the breaking Yeah. (laughs) yeah the stigma the cycle yeah changing how we talk about mental health. Mm-hmm. And do you sense that you've seen any sort of differences as a therapist between working with the Latinx versus non-Latinx individuals? Well, yeah, like I said, kind of like not being fully invested or mm-hmm. not taking things 100% as being introduced. I don't know if parents expect us to fix everything in a way rather than mm-hmm. then become a part of the treatment, then implementing things at home. It mm-hmm. becomes more of like, well, if I did it, it didn't work. Kind of like, again, it's like yeah. a mode rather than a continuum of conversations and patience. Mm-hmm. It's just, I feel like it's approached differently. I mean, I've seen that among other cultures as well, but there is a a sense of distrust, I think, at times towards providers from the Latinx community because a lot of them live in fear if they're undocumented Mm -hmm. or like you said, they they don't even know what their role is supposed to be if they have their child in therapy they might truly believe that this is something that, okay, my child speaks to their therapist about this only, and that's where it ends. Mm -hmm. Instead of having that education, and no, this is really a family process. It's good for you to be aware of what's going on in the session. If, if you know, if it's that a child says like, yeah, I'd like to have my mom, my dad, my guardian in here so that they're aware of what's going on in the session and can implement that stuff at home too. Because so much of therapy is you're here for one hour, once a week, maybe at tops for if you're in outpatient therapy, what matters is what you're doing with the rest of those hours that you're not here. Yeah. 
or even I would say limitations I've noticed, mm-hmm. and this is more, I'm not a client sense, like a, a family instance that I've noticed of parents wanting things to be kept within the home or mm-hmm. I wouldn't say, yeah. assistance, but you know, it's entre familia. And I'm like, no, the mm-hmm. whole point to see a therapist is to express an external a talk about there's no mm-hmm. boundaries in therapy. Yeah. Where that's so true with the, I mean, that is such a cultural piece of a lot of Latin American countries, South, Central, even Caribbean. Mm-hmm. That is such a big piece. I mean, I've heard that over and over again, that that's just part of the culture, keeping things in the house. People aren't supposed to know your business. Anything negative that's happening, definitely don't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. We could talk about the positive stuff, but <laughs> any issues the family is going through that stays within the family. And I think that relates to the distrust piece is that yeah. a lot of people only think that they can trust their family members. And that's, you know, that's the true alliance is just your family. Anyone else is like an outsider and they can't be trusted. Yeah. And that is unfortunate because the issue could be within the family. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You need to be able to talk about that and how to change or address things within the whole family structure and system. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping it continues to get better and a more modernized view, you know, what, 10 years from now, it's such a norm Mm -hmm. that you know, these conversations are going to be odd to have. They're going to be like, what? People didn't believe in therapy back then? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds amazing. I hope, uh, I hope we get there too. How has it been for you communicating in Spanish to families that seek treatment or children, their parents, etc.? Yeah, so I was at the first agency that I was telling you where I was school-based. At one point, they made me their Spanish ambassador in a sense that I represented more of the outreach and I was following up consistently with the agency of, do we have consent forms in Spanish? Like, you know, are we advertising our services to the Hispanic community and creating flyers and everything in the language presented for us to kind of, again, grow and expand because I did want that to be more present and Mm -hmm. in the area that I was working in in Laurel that's a very heavy Latin community there so I thought this is great like we're in a great environment to try to do this so sometimes it's just even having that person to do that because Mm -hmm. had they maybe translated through some document Mm -hmm. it's not 100% translated correctly. Mm -hmm. So they had me as a follow up person to review to make sure things made sense. And I think it was more of me pushing them to do that versus not something they initially thought of. Because again, Mm -hmm. it's not a population that heavily comes into therapy. (laughs) Right. But I myself had to learn, you know, i I am bilingual. I did learn Spanish Mm -hmm. first, but when it came to mental health in Spanish, I felt like I had to relearn or not relearn, Mm -hmm. learn period, how to communicate certain words or Mm -hmm. phrases or diagnostic needs, anything, how to say it in Spanish. And then I learned to immediately translate. I had to explain kind of what I was referencing without having to say the exact word, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Because I've been through the same thing happened to me when I first got into the field. And I started working with the Spanish speaking population right away, Mm -hmm. because I was in a a heavily Puerto Rican area. There was a lot of Puerto Ricans, Mexicans, some Ecuadorians. So there it was a lot of Spanish speaking individuals. And yeah, aside from that, it was a lot of slang uh-huh. coming at me from 
all these different countries and certain things that I would say that they wouldn't understand because I think a lot of people don't know that there's so many different forms of Spanish and each country speaks a little bit differently, uses different words, slang, that it it was definitely a learning curve. And I think it's sort of never ending because Mm -hmm. now in Maryland, there's not many Puerto Ricans here now. There's people from El Salvador, Guatemala, Mm -hmm. Venezuela. So another part of uh, Latin America that I'm working with. So it, it was definitely so what's the word boundaries? That was one I'm like, I we never talked about boundaries. Mm-hmm. In my life, my mom never said anything about boundaries. My dad never said anything about boundaries. So it's like, what even is that in Spanish? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, different dialects or trying to understand phrases. And, you know, I try to ask for sure if I if I can, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I feel yeah. like the conversation just goes so quick and it may be kind mm-hmm. of a thing to even ask about, but yeah. there were times where I had to stop and think like, what did they say? Or what are yeah. they <laughs> I think I always ask, yeah. I, I ask and I say, oh, I'm sorry in Chile. I've never heard of that word in Chile. What does that mean? Okay, oh, okay, I understand. We say this, do you yeah. use that? Usually yeah. they'll be like, no, we don't use that word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I think it also becomes a little bit more personal in the sense that when they mm-hmm. do realize I am, you know, Latina, they'll be like, yeah. oh, where are you from? You know, versus another client, if they ask me, that's not typically something that people follow up too much on. Like, where's your family? Yeah. From? What culture? Right. So it's interesting. I think it's also acknowledging that there is that difference in our culture to mm-hmm. ask that. Or with even introducing food or gifts and stuff like that. So I would say when I was school-based over the summer, I had to do home-based because we continued therapy throughout the summer. So that was a whole nother field of going into people's homes that I did not like to do. Mm -hmm. And that's (laughs) Um, not very popular, yeah. No, a lot of people don't prefer not to do that. And of course, it's like if I only had one active, no, I had two, two active Hispanic clients and, you know, knowing that they would try to offer you and this and that, and that was pushed more than, you know, in the other Mm -hmm. homes where maybe they didn't even ask. And I didn't care. I wasn't looking to see if they would ask me and I would bring my own stuff, my own Mm -hmm. water, but it's different because you do already know, like in our culture, it is to be more like of a host and to give people food and you know making sure that they're comfortable yeah and if you say no it's can be perceived as rude I know so you need to be aware of that if you're working with the Latinx population and maybe having a discussion about that in the beginning it doesn't mean like you have to consume what they're giving you but instead of just saying flat out no maybe saying like oh I'm sorry I just ate but I really appreciate it or else I would have had it I'll take a water whatever it is but definitely having a conversation and not just flat out saying no because that could really be a barrier to building that therapeutic relationship Mm -hmm. absolutely can you talk a little bit about your experience as a Latina identifying client being on the other side because you have Mm-hmm. really nice perspective being Latina yourself, being a therapist, working with an array of various populations, but also having the experience of attending therapy yourself. Yeah. 
So I was born and raised in Montgomery County. So it's very diverse. There's a lot, there's a very heavy, heavy Hispanic population from multiple countries here. So luckily my therapist spoke French and Spanish and in English. So with her, I was able to talk to my very first. Yeah. I was able to talk to her in English, but she, if we did need to include my mom, she was able to have those sessions in Spanish and like my mom would understand. That's great. Yeah. That's so important. Mm -hmm. But of course, like I said, then there's the issues of work. So my mom worked a lot and being a single parent, sometimes I would remember her getting frustrated because I had evening sessions. If, if I recall correctly, they were also on a Wednesday, like at mm-hmm. six or five, you know, it's like an evening session. Sometimes mm-hmm. she wouldn't be able to get home on time where she did. She was rushing and she was like, you know, hysteric that we were late. But again, not my fault. Yeah. Came late <laughs> to pick me up to then drive me to Rockville. And I remember even at one point, I called my therapist because my mom wasn't able to like get here on time and I wanted to see her and my therapist actually sent out a taxi to pick me up and take me to Rockville and then my mom picked me up later wow she's really the reason why I became a therapist I never asked but that's what I mean sometimes again it's not like my mom didn't think it wasn't as important but you know work and constantly having to do that traffic you there's so many barriers that come first. And I think when we tried to have family sessions, I think that they were okay. But I think there were times where I really wanted my mom to work on herself. And I would try to see if my mom would have her own individual sessions, either with my therapist or someone else. That's where my mom or no. Mm, Okay. (laughs) She's like, I'll come for yours, but I'm not getting my own. Yeah. And I would say even as an adult, like in my twenties, I had a really bad experience and I felt like my mom was not understanding what I went through. And I tried to approach her with my original therapist. I did reach out to my original therapist to say, Hey, can you meet with my mom and I? Cause I feel like you're the one that can like kind of Mm -hmm. get through her or explain things from, you know, a different manner. And my mom was so confused. Like, why would you want to go see her to talk to me but because I know how my mom is you know (laughs) so it's different because I think I started seeing the benefit and I went from just having this one therapist from middle like half of middle through high school and then I graduated and I started waiting to see her on my breaks because she was mm-hmm. here in Rockville, Maryland. And I went to school yeah. in Baltimore County. But then that's where it became harder because I felt like I wanted to continue seeing a therapist and I couldn't wait till breaks to see someone for right. Yeah, that's too much. So mm-hmm. then I started seeing, you know, therapists that school would provide. And then as an adult, I started seeing my own therapist because I was living in different parts of Baltimore County. But like I said, I do keep in touch with my OG therapist. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And that's so nice. I mean, that really shows that you were able to build such a close therapeutic relationship with her and that she understood your culture. And obviously it was great that she was able to communicate with your mom as well. Yes. She helped me so much and helped strengthen because my mom and I did not have a great relationship back then and I think it made it possible for us to be to where we're at now I would say 
And I think it's also just, it's helping me in that sense with my mom. It's also helping me process certain things that happened in my life. And when I saw how much of a difference she made for me, I took that with me and I said, I want to do that when I get older. I want to help people. I wish I could be at a minimal fracture or something as Jacqueline. Her name's Jacqueline. Yeah. Um, as Jacqueline was to me. And I, I remember I wrote like, feel like essays about her um you know one Mm -hmm. of the college essays that I don't know if one of them was like who inspired you or something the most in your life yeah so I've written paper about her and even most recently as a new homeowner I did this thing where I put pictures of really important people in my life kind of like inside the foundations of my walls which kind of mimicked the foundation of me as a person and I, mm-hmm. for sure, I printed a picture of her and I posted her inside my walls of my home. And I sent her a picture after I said, look, like, this is just, again, another reminder how much you're mm-hmm. such a big part of me growing up. Yeah. And it's interesting how each individual story getting into this field really has like some deep things behind it, because everybody that I've talked to that decides to be a mental health professional is due to something that they went through as a child, whether it was like you motivated by someone or they felt like they would have benefited from it or they went through something and didn't get the help that that they needed or able to talk to a therapist when they were that age. So yeah, it's absolutely it's like the best experience when you have that amazing connection. So it's great if I can do that, but I, I am also understanding like sometimes you don't have that perfect experience with a therapist upon meeting one or trying one for the first time. So I feel like I'm just lucky though that I did have that experience and not a not so great one in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. If you could give one piece of advice to someone that's working with the Latinx community, what do you think is one of the most important things to know, be aware of when working with the Latinx community as a mental health professional? For sure, having some overall knowledge of different cultures, again, with the whole different countries, knowing certain norms, even rituals that happen with each country is helpful because What might seem odd to someone who doesn't know something, it could be something very important to that person's culture. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like learning as a whole, but then if they start hearing things, not immediately jumping to a conclusion or assuming like definitely following up and doing research because I've even encountered that myself more in the realm of funeral related stuff, learning about certain customs that like, for example, a Peruvian culture does that I've never seen or heard of before and it was shocking for me to hear mm-hmm. um so it's just again kind of really making sure you're consistently learning and acknowledging that there is that difference mm-hmm. if possible it would be helpful to know spanish but again if if they don't being able to i guess 100 percent communicate because i don't know if that would be a disconnect with not being able to communicate with parents mm-hmm. if you don't necessarily understand too much but hopefully it is a at least a parent, because I would hate to introduce a child as a translator, which is something that we've always been growing up to. (laughs) Yeah, we we know all too well about translating (laughs) for our parents. (laughs) So it sounds like you're saying the best piece of advice is to treat that person as an individual and really get to know their background before 
if possible before working with them or once you know, okay, I have this person on my caseload or I'm going to be having this person, we're going to be working together to really do your research and be aware of, okay, what is mental health like in their country? And then having that discussion with them, what has their experience been like and really not grouping all Latinxes saying, oh, they're all this, they're all that, but the individual. Yeah. Or even along the way, it doesn't even have to be too much of like a precursor, but along Mm -hmm. the way, or directly asking clients themselves. Like I know Mm -hmm. children thrive to be the one to explain things or teach adults Mm -hmm. something. So Mm -hmm. sometimes I even act like I don't know things and I I do know to a certain extent, but I'm like, yeah, more about this, you know? So yeah. Um, having them introduce it in their own perspective. So you do learn a lot from that way. Yeah, really empowering the individual. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lillian. This was a really great episode. And I think that everybody listening will really benefit from all your knowledge. Like I said, not only as a Latinx therapist, but as somebody that attends therapy herself. So I want to thank you again for being here today. Oh, of course. And thank you so much for letting me be a part of this and anytime you know any kind of follow-up or any way I could help I am here thank you so much